Politics and God's Government The book of Isaiah is a story of a people who are meant to live in hope, turning to God, waiting for God, waiting on God, and being surprised by God's goodness to them. After Solomon, the kingdoms of Israel and Judah were divided. There were 20 kings of Israel in the north, and not one of them did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And of the 20 kings of Judah in the south, only eight attempted to do what was right. And King Uzziah was in the top five of these. And the Bible says of him, Uzziah set himself to seek God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. That's in Second Chronicles chapter 26. And that's such a principle of when God's people would seek him, he would cause them to prosper. Isaiah begins to speak a message of warning and encouragement after King Uzziah dies. That's in Isaiah chapter 5. Because when the king died, God's people turned away from trusting in God. Isaiah's constant message of turning back to having hope in God then all comes to a focus in Isaiah's words of warning in Isaiah chapter 30. And it's about their presumptuous attitude and desire for political power and control. In Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 9, Isaiah says, They are a people who lie, a people unwilling to listen to anything God tells them. They tell their spiritual leaders, don't bother us with irrelevancies. They tell their preachers, don't waste our time on spiritual impracticalities. Tell us what makes us feel better. Don't bore us with obsolete religion. That stuff means nothing to us. Quit hounding us with the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, thus says the Holy One of Israel, because of your rejecting me, so that you trust in a headstrong dictator and rely on him, therefore may this guilt be for you like a bulge in a high wall which suddenly breaks up and collapses. It shall break up like a clay vessel being smashed. That dictator was Pharaoh, and that speaks of worldly power. Egypt speaks of the world, and Pharaoh was one of the greatest powers in the East. And these words were said to God's people during a time when they had become tired of waiting for God to do something. And God was waiting for them to demonstrate that they trusted him. Israel and Judah's kings had been playing politics for generations, siding with different nations against other rival nations and carrying favour with one against the other. At this particular time, God's people were putting their trust in the worldly powers of Egypt and Assyria and playing them off one against another. But none of the nations could help God's people or provide safety for them as they were only interested in using Israel to strengthen themselves against their enemies. And Israel had taken on a political role among the nations instead of taking on their role as God's spiritual representative his servants, to exercise his government in the world. They'd become political and had not exercised God's government. Two different things. 
They had rejected his government and authority over them. They had demanded that their spiritual leaders and prophets exercise political power instead of exercising God's government. We read in Isaiah 9, verse 6, and that was just not long after King Uzziah died, the beautiful prophecy of Jesus coming. And it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. That is an ongoing prophecy that applies now, today, especially in these days, about the government of God. The Bible says the government will be upon his shoulders, not the politics. Government and politics are two different things. Politics is exercised by people in a state or a nation, no matter what happens to be the lawfully recognised government of the day. There is someone in government, say, a political party in government or a group in government, and everybody else is in politics or shares a role in the passing of legislation. Now, politics comes from the Greek word polis, which means the state and its citizens. Politics describes the strategic conflict between competing power bases within the states or within a nation. These political agencies influence the different ideologies which are in the the, the political arena. And that includes the political parties themselves, the media, and there are all kinds in that zoo, uh, special interest groups and lobby groups. We take the politics on our shoulders, but the government is always upon his shoulders. And in Romans chapter 13, verse 1, It says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Now, there's very few people in the world that actually probably accept that because they would know that everything is under God, that he is the supreme authority. He governs the entire universe. Everything is under his rule. That is the kingdom of God in heaven that we pray about. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so God appoints governing authorities. In Psalm 75, it says, For promotion comes neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south, but God is the judge. He puts down one and sets up another. So God establishes what the governing authorities will be. It says there's no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. He has a purpose for whoever is in power. Even if we think, wow, God, you shouldn't have allowed that person to be in power. God says, I have a purpose for that. And that will test everybody's faith. See, government means the recognised management of authority and responsibility for justice law and order, and the care and well-being of the citizens within a state or nation. That is the actual work and stewardship of government. 
And in the big picture, the reality is that these are all under God. And mostly they don't recognise that they are under God. We bring ourselves under the government and authority of God and under his word. And if obedience to that authority is at odds with the recognised local authority, we obey God. We may have to disobey a local authority in order to obey God. But we accept the legal consequences of that from the local authority. And that's what Peter and John did when they preached the gospel in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 4. And so the leaders called them and commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. So that could happen to you. You're not allowed to. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. That in Acts chapter 12, there's an account that tells the story of Peter again, but it's Peter and James this time, being arrested by Herod, who was an agent of Roman governance, because they were preaching the gospel. Herod put James to death, and the people applauded him. So I thought, well, well, that seemed very popular. So he arrested Peter. However, God needed Peter out of prison, so he sent an angel to release him. You've kind of got two ends of the spectrum there. There's, well, what happens when you come under persecution? Well, James and Peter did not organise a political protest. They didn't get political. They took the consequences. And we see these two ends of the spectrum of their eventual end. Death for James and miraculous liberty for Peter. You see, the government is upon God's shoulders and he has a purpose for things. And God's always moving us forward in the purpose of his government. We saw the warnings of God to his people in the previous scripture in Isaiah in chapter 30 and verse 9, where he rebuked them for playing politics amongst the nations. And we saw that they were rejecting him. They said, don't waste our time on spiritual impracticalities. Quit hounding us with the Holy One of Israel. So they were rebuked for playing politics amongst the nations. And the threat of sending the Assyrians from the north to bring judgment upon them was God's way of dealing with them unless they gave up their independence and turned back to trusting in him. Now, in the following verses of Isaiah 30, after verses 9 and 10, we see the desire of God's heart of purpose of bringing blessing for obedience for Israel, but a warning for disobedience. So we now go a few verses on in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15. For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, that's the Holy One of Israel that they said, don't speak to us about him. Thus says the Lord, in returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust and confidence in me shall be your strength. But you are unwilling. You've said, nothing doing, we'll rush off on horseback. And God says to you, 
you'll rush off, all right, just not far enough. And you've said, we'll ride off on fast horses. And God says, do you think your pursuers ride old nags? Think again. A thousand of you will scatter before one attacker. Before a mere five, you'll all run off. There'll be nothing left of you. A flagpole on a hill with no flag. A signpost on a roadside with the sign torn off. But then comes the encouragement of God's faithfulness to us. When I say us, this was spoken to Israel and spoken to us in the church. In fact, it's spoken to everybody today in the earth. The encouragement of God's faithfulness to us. Verse 18. The Lord waits to do good to you. He is almighty in power and is kind-hearted towards you in your weaknesses. He is a God of true justice and right order in everything he does. If you wait for him, with him waiting for you, great things will happen to you as my people. What a beautiful prophetic word. And this all has to do with the difference between politics and government. And the government is upon his shoulders. So verses 15 and 18 that we just read contain two of the clearest expressions of Isaiah's message that God had been calling for upon Israel and Judah since the days of King Uzziah. It was now turnaround time. He called for a willingness on the nation's part to turn inward to its faith and to rest on God's grace and promises. But Israel were putting their trust in political power instead of in God. It would require quietness in the midst of turmoil and trust that God would control the great forces that were devastating the nations. God has the government of the nations upon his shoulders. But in the midst of the turmoil, with all of these competing powers and the devastation going on in the nations, to just exercise quietness and trust in God would mean exhibiting a courage or a daring of a very different kind to their political strategies. This is real faith. This is knowing that God's in charge. This is the faith, the assurance that God is at work in the world of the unseen, doing that good thing for us in the right place and the right time where we are. Whatever we're doing in our lives, God is at work. And that takes courage to trust in him. And that's our faith. The church today cannot trust in politicians to save them either. But we can trust in God to save politicians. And that's what we should do. The Bible tells us to pray for our leaders for this very reason. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, it starts off in verse 2. And it says, pray especially for rulers and their governments to rule well so we can live godly lives in the way our Saviour God wants us to live. It speaks about rulers and their governments. Verse 4, he wants not only us, but everyone saved, everyone to get to know the truth. Verse 8, since prayer is at the bottom of all of this, what I want mostly is for men to pray, 
not shaking angry fists at enemies, but raising holy hands to God. And at a political demonstration, you can shake your angry fist. But when you're trusting in God and his governance in your life, as Lord over all things, you raise holy hands to God. The final verse, uh, verse 18, brings the final blessing. And it's dedicated to those who are willing to listen and who wait. I'm going to read it again. The Lord waits to do good to you. He is almighty in power and is kind-hearted towards you in your weakness. He is a God of true justice and right order in everything he does. If you wait for him, with him waiting for you, great things will happen to you as my people. He repeats to them that he will do good to them. He acknowledges that he has allowed them to go through tough times of disorder, adversity and suffering. And he has even used it all for his purposes. But that now it is time for rest and peace to come to them. And that when they cry out to him, he will hear and act. God had to wait till his people had come to that place of honestly admitting that their efforts and their wayward leaders and prophets had not brought them the freedom and safety and happiness they thought it would. They didn't get the results they expected. And this is something that we all have to learn the hard way, that God arranges history, not us. The government is upon his shoulders. He actually waits for us to get it. So what is he actually waiting for? Well, he's waiting for us to wait for him, patiently wait for him to act. So why don't we wait? Well, just like them, we feel we can't just sit around and do nothing. We have to think of something to do. And here is where our obedience in faith will result in things to do. Because I believe God certainly wants us to do the best that we can. We can, in our communities, be agents of godly change, taking on our role as God's spiritual representatives, his servants to the world. There are people that have been called into government that are godly men and women that are under the governance of God in their lives, in the word of God. There are others in politics generally that have been called. And politics includes the media. There can be Christian journalists who have something to say that honours God. There are people in other aspects of community life, in education, Christian education. There are parents that can be involved in school committees and boards and prayer groups. There are people that are running lobby groups to be able to network with people in government and the rest of everybody that's interested in politics. And if people are serious about being representatives of God, then God's waiting for us to wait for him and on him for our eyes to be open to the opportunities that he places right in the midst of our day-to-day -day lives. There can be things that you can support that you can pray for, that you can be involved in, which is not political protest, but it is exhibiting and demonstrating that you're under the government of God that's upon his shoulders, 
and under which every other government is given permission to even exist. I believe right in the midst of our day-to-day lives, God is setting us up to bring his wisdom and faith and love into every situation. But remember that prayer from Timothy. Pray especially for rulers and their governments to rule well so that we can live godly lives in the way our Saviour God wants us to live. We pray this prayer, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.